he sends Timothy to them um, to encourage and strengthen them and also to bring back a report to him about how they were doing. I think in this class we'd gotten through about verse 2. We were talking about how Timothy was such a young man and yet how Paul had this much trust and confidence to send him back to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Now, there's some things that worry Paul in connection with the Thessalonians. Again, like what? In verses 3 and 4. The afflictions. Yeah. Now, he has every reason to believe the afflictions would be pretty severe. After all, he'd gotten run out of two towns by the Jews of Thessalonica, both from Thessalonica and from Berea, and he can just imagine what all these young baby Christians are going through, and afflictions can sometimes shake your faith. And now he'd warn them that there'd be these dangers, but he's really concerned about how they'll be doing when they face so much opposition. And so that's one thing he's concerned about. What else is he concerned about in verse 5? People tempting them and their faith being tested. Absolutely. There are all kinds of temptation that Satan brings that can bring us down. And, you know, he's really worried about that. And that perhaps after all the love and concern he's had for them, that they could, you know, that could all be in vain because they don't uh, do well. So that, that's his concern for them. Notice that Paul worries a whole lot more about their spiritual well-being than their physical well-being. You know, what he says he's concerned about in verse 2, he wanted Timothy to strengthen and encourage them in their what? Faith. And in verse 5, he said to find out about their what? And in verse 6, Timothy brought back good news of their what? And love. Verse 7, he was comforted about them through their what? Faith. And verse uh, 10, he wanted to complete what was lacking in their what? Do you get the impression that he's really concerned about their faith? Uh, I'm sure he'd be glad for them to have good health. He'd like for them to be, you know, financially secure and so forth and so on. But what he really cares about is their faith. And so he's sending Timothy to find out how they're doing in the faith and to try to give them a boost spiritually so that they will be stronger in the faith. So that's what Paul did. He sent Timothy up to help them. Do you have comments or questions through 3 five? Sometimes I fear that we think more about people's physical situation than the spiritual situation. And that's reflected in our prayer. If we really want people to go to heaven, we really want them to serve God then that's what we ought to pray the most about. It's not like we should not care about their physical suffering. It's reasonable that we do that. But we would care even more about how they're doing the Lord. And if we're not praying a whole lot about those things, then I think Paul does really show us, you know, kind of rebuke us and show us what we ought to be thinking. Good comment. Other thoughts? Going along with that, is that we think worse of physical death than we do of spiritual death. Yeah. 
It's almost like that. I mean, sometimes it seems like our only concern is to keep people alive. But, you know, if they're faithful Christians, it's a blessing to die. You know, I don't think we look at it with the right kind of perspective sometimes. Other thoughts? Well, how did Timothy find the brethren? Verses 6 through 10. Now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see Alright, so when Timothy came back to Paul, this is probably Acts 18.5, Paul's moved on to Corinth, and Acts 18.5 said that Silas and Timothy came to Paul from Macedonia, Thessalonica was in Macedonia, so this lines up. When Timothy came to Paul, what did he tell him? Yes! And what does Paul call that? Do you know how good news is usually translated in the Bible? The gospel. gospel. It's the same word. Timothy brought a gospel that is good news about how their faith and love are doing. And that was a great relief and joy to Paul. That's just what he was wanting to hear. And not only that, he also informs Paul in verse 6 that they what? They were greatly desiring... Yes. Paul longed to see them. It's a comfort to him to know that they wanted to see Paul too. You know, it's encouraging when somebody you love, you know, loves you. (laughs) And so all of that was just so wonderful for Paul that he found this out about them through Timothy to the point where, verse 7, Paul goes through a lot of distresses and afflictions, but knowing how well the Thessalonians are doing brings him what? Comfort. He sent Timothy to give them comfort. He ends up getting comforted by Timothy's good report about them. And to the point where I love verse 8. For now we will live if you stand firm in the Lord. It's like Paul's very life is connected with his convert's well-being. Now we live. You know, his life had kind of been suspended while he was waiting to find out about Uh, these brethren, but now we live because we found out you're doing well. That's just a great comfort, a great encouragement. Really uplifts it. Alright. Comments and questions through eight. That goes back to what we were talking about, about being like a mother to them. Is that, you know, when a mother's child is sick, that they don't do anything. They just wait to hear Excellent. That's exactly right. And that would seem natural for a mother. You would expect a mother to be intensely concerned with the child's well-being. And if there's doubt about, you know, the child's health or survival, wow, the mother would be just sitting on bins and needles, you know, eagerly awaiting any news. And, and a great relief would come to the mother 
She found out the test came back good. The child's doing well. Do we ever care that much about anybody spiritually? Do we ever show that intensity of love? It's almost, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but like you were talking about how his very life, like, is almost, it, it sounds like it's like revolving around how are they doing, how are they doing. It's like, have I ever skipped a meal because I was worried about someone's spiritual well-being? Like, you just think about it like that, just one meal. Have I ever skipped that because I wanted to spend that time in prayer, or because I wanted to go to see him, or whatever? Like, I just don't think that we love people like Paul loves. I think that's the that's the issue, and uh, Paul ought to rebuke us in his attitude here. You know, this is this is amazing. And it got to the point in verse nine. How did Paul feel? He felt an attic, in, inadequate. Why did he feel inadequate? Like he couldn't thank God enough. Yeah. It's like there was just no words to really adequately communicate the thanks and gratitude he felt toward God for how well the Thessalonians were doing. I think it's interesting that when he finds out they're doing well, his first thought is to want to thank God that the Thessalonians were doing well. He sees that as a result of what God was doing in their lives. I think that in itself is, is impressive. And, 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 you know, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your faith. Face. You, you really see Paul putting forth a lot of effort through the intense in his praying. He just, he just felt like, oh, there was so much more that God will be, be praised and thanked for in connection with this good response of the, the Thessalonians, I think that shows you also how much he cared about how they were doing. Comments and thoughts about that? Do you think it's because we don't take the gospel or salvation seriously enough that we don't love people as much as we should? That's got to be part of it. I mean, we're too self-focused, we're too this-world-focused. I think we're too comfortable. I don't know. What do you think? Why, why do you think that we struggle with that? Struggle with not really loving and caring about other people and their spiritual situation like Paul did. I think that this generation that's growing up, like you said, is very self-centered and you know, we only care about ourselves and our well-being, not others. We're not putting the interests of others before ourselves. I mean, really, you know, it seems to me like maybe we're not even very compassionate about almost anything related to other people. You know, does does anybody's ups and downs really matter to us? Maybe our boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, but even then, sometimes I'm not sure. Just. It may just be as they relate to us. Maybe I'm underestimating some people, but I, I mean, I think that's a struggle for us to really care. And then to care spiritually is another struggle. Yeah. Relating to that, I also think because we have been raised in a post-Christian world and that we have freedom of religion, I mean, I think we can 
someone else could take care of it. Like, if you try to reach out to someone and you can make them respond like you'd like and say, well, we've done our part, but maybe someone else, because there are, there are more places in town, but that should never, we should never feel like it's not our responsibility to look out for someone constantly and never feel like Mm -hmm, certainly. Yeah, definitely. We kind of, kind of don't feel the personal responsibility because somebody else could do it. Go. Um. Um. Hmm. Okay. Um. Okay. I think that was a question. Like, oh, well, we'll see if we can sort them out. Okay. Um. Do you think that this could just be like really? Um. Do you think that um. Like some people, like you know, how we're talking about, like you don't really have that much compassion on all the other like Um, that we need to see how much we know about taking care of people, you know, that we can just maybe like pray once or whatever, and then God will be the rest, and then we don't, we don't care if we're like, well, if God's somewhere, then we can do it. I don't know. Do people think that way? Maybe so. I don't know. I'm not sure that's really the issue, but maybe it is. I think a big part of the reason why we're not so compassionate anymore is like so I said, this generation is so self-seeking. But be because we're so self-seeking, it's because we have all this like technology and everything, and the new inventions that they come out with aren't things that you know you have to do with other people. You can do it on your own, and it's something that you don't have to have a lot of teamwork for. You know, you can figure out how to use it, or whatever. And a long time ago, you know, you had to rely on other people. You had to trade with other people for your food and things. You had to grow your own food and work with your family for that. And now, you know, we just have things handed to us. And we don't have to consider other people and consider their needs as much because they don't need it, you know, like, or so we think. But spiritually, you know, we are still a family. And God created this. And it's not going to change over time just because, you know, modern, like the world is being modernized technologically, because God created this family, it's going to stay the same, and we have to rely on each other, but I don't think a lot of people view it that way, just because the technology has become so self. That's a good observation. I agree, Kevin. Kevin, I don't know if Because our love, really, is just a reflection of the love we've received. If we don't understand that and don't appreciate that, then it's going to be hard for us to show that. That's a good point. I mean, appreciating, like, how other people are doing spiritually, too, like, um, uh, we are a family, but we're not as open with each other as, like, you know, we don't actually know how they're doing spiritually. You know, they might be struggling, and we don't know that, so then we're not concerned because we just think, oh, they're doing fine because we're not involved enough with how they are doing spiritually to actually know and be concerned. That's a good observation. I agree with you. Those are all good things to think about. Let's challenge ourselves with this love and deep concern Paul showed to have that kind of concern for each other, for brethren in various places. We have to grow in this. We have to pray for more compassion, more intensity of love. Uh, but surely it's the right goal, can it? I have another question. How would you suggest we doing that? Because I just pray more about it. Like, what are some things that we can do to work on that? Because I know I talk to a lot of people about that, and it's definitely a big problem 
I had to. Like, I just don't really love being able to share. And besides praying about it, what are some other ways that we can work on that? It's a good question. I'll be interested in hearing what you have to say about that, too. I um, think... Oh, sorry. Well, I think you need to have the desire. You have to want to do it. You can't just say, you know, I need to do it. But you have to build up yourself to have the desire that I need to do this. And I think with a good attitude that you and God, I mean, you can. We almost have to intentionally make ourselves focus on others, focus on their well-being, make ourselves think about them, almost make ourselves care about them first. I think it can become natural, but at first it's kind of a, you know, this is what I've got to do. I think a really good way to help, like, get yourself prepared for that is, you know, maybe fix your home life first, because I know that as teenagers it's probably really hard for us to respect our parents as we should, and, you know, of course we love our parents and everything, but sometimes we don't really show it because we disrespect them so much and I think for me if I start you know showing more love in the home and wanting to help out and um, being respectful then that will carry over into my social life with other people because if I can fix it you know at the root then it will hopefully spread out. A really cool thing would be to really care about our siblings which is also a big challenge. I think it is for girls as well as for guys. But sometimes that can make a lot of difference for them. Mm-hmm. It, it's harder to love intensely somebody you barely know. You know, as people are more open, that certainly makes it easier. Um, I think that's a good point. It's hard to do that because our pride makes us not want to be vulnerable. But it's really helpful. Yeah, Chelsea. Um, I don't know. Do you think it would be helpful? I guess thinking about their Christianity and taking that more seriously. Because I guess whenever I think about people and their souls, it just makes me want to love them, even if I don't get along with them or whatever. I, whenever I think about, I do want them in heaven with me, and I do want them to be doing well with God and yes. you know, being an encouragement to others and stuff like that. And that helps me to love them a lot more. It's a good point. Um, I think, you know, like in the Bible, there's a lot of talk about races and stuff, and like how like we're in a race and we're trying to get to But I think, um, Peter, remember it's more like a relay race where we're working together and we're not just like, I'm going to get ahead of you and I'm going to try to get there first kind of thing. Where it's really like, oh, hey, you just nearly tripped on that rock, I'm going to like help you kind of like. We're, we're working together to get there. And if we think about it like that, and we don't think like, all right, I'm going to try to be more spiritually minded like than this person or whatever. If we have that attitude, then it's not going to work. But if we are working more like as a team. Good point. Yeah, good point. Very good comments. Those things all help us think more about this. Anything else? Anyone Going along with Kimmy's point about how we don't understand, like sometimes take to heart how much God loved us. You know, Jesus said that we should love one another all the way to the point that we would lay down our lives for each other. And that's, that gives me chills, like, just to think about that. If, if, if we should do that, 
how much more we should love people in maybe less sacrificial ways. So, yeah, good point. Well, Paul shows his love in another way. When he talks about he, he can't even thank God enough, but he's praying day and night earnestly to be able to do what? See them to be able to do what? To complete what he's offering. Yes, in their faith. There are some things that the Thessalonians still need to grow and be completed in their faith. Conversion is just a beginning. The faith has to grow and get deeper and stronger. And I imagine it may be that even Timothy, when he came back, told Paul about some weaknesses of these brethren. Paul's, Paul would love to come so that he could shore up some of these weak spots in their faith. And that is the bridge to the rest of the book. Because Paul's going to pray for them in some areas of weakness, and then he's going to talk to them and give them admonitions about three areas of weakness in their faith that he wants to come and help them with, but in the absence of that, he's going to try to help them by letter. So this this is kind of a bridge verse. Really, from 310 to 313 is kind of a bridge section. We're going from the part about Timothy's visit to Paul's exhortations to try to help them with their weaknesses. How many your questions from verse 10 then? Um, how do you think Timothy went about, you know, we mentioned earlier that he was a young man. How do you think he went about finding how they were doing in faith and love? Uh, well, probably asking and observing. I don't know what else you could do. That's how I would find out. You know, I would talk and and I'd I'd watch. I'd ask some questions. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. That's what I would do. Don't really know. I mean, I'm assuming Paul wished he'd come as soon as possible to give him a report, but he wanted him to stay long enough to help him. So I don't know what that would have been. I mean, my feel would be maybe, I don't know, this is just strictly my my way of thinking, maybe a month or two or something like that would be kind of what I think, but I don't know. All right, uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It looks to me like this is more or less a prayer. Now may God himself and Jesus do what? In verse 11. Direct our waiting. In other words, Paul's still trying to get there. He still wants to go and visit, and he's praying that God and Jesus would allow him to do that. And what else in verse 12? Increasing your love for one another. Yes. He's praying that God would cause their love to grow and abound. You can never love too much. It always needs to grow, just like what we've been saying, what he's praying that for them. And he's concerned in verse 13 that God might establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father. So he's praying for their holiness 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, it's very interesting. You know, the three main topics of the rest of the book are holiness, love, and the coming of Jesus. The specific things that he mentions in this prayer for the Thessalonians, that they grow in their love, that they be established in holiness, awaiting the coming of Christ. So he prays and then he exhorts. Now, uh, you don't have to all agree with this, but I do think this is one of the passages in verse 11 and 12 that show that it's right to address Jesus specifically in our prayers as well as God the Father. There's some other passages that indicate that as well in my understanding. Uh, but this is one of them where he prays to the Father and to Jesus that they would do these things. And probably the Lord in verse 12 is Jesus. Based upon verse 11, we call Jesus our Lord. Alright, anything you want to say about the rest of chapter 3? Alright, so he takes up these topics and he's going to give them a little lesson on each one of them. The first one he deals with is holiness. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress, transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Right. This really is a very strong passage. Now, he starts out by saying, we taught you how you ought to walk and please God. And what does he want him to do? Keep growing in that. Exactly. Christian life is marked by progress. They do walk the way he said he wants them to do it more still. We can never feel content with our present level. We've always got to keep growing. Excel more. That's what he's asking. And he, specific, he says, you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Now what is the will of God? Your sanctification. Their sanctification. What's the other word that means sanctification? Holiness. Holiness. He wants them to be sanctified to be holy. And he specifies in this section what he means by that. They show they're sanctified by doing what? Staying from sexual immorality. Exactly. This is God's will. That they be holy. That is, that they not be sexually immoral. This is not some church law. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not just prudence. This is the will of God. He wants them to be sanctified. That is, he wants them to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, a lot of times people think about wanting to know the will of God when they face a critical decision. I wish I knew the will of God about where I ought to go to school. And what I ought to do for a career. And who I ought to marry. But God's will encompasses our everyday life. 
one point of God's will for us that we can nail down is he doesn't want us to be immoral. And he doesn't just say, like some people might say, well, be moderate in your sexual immorality. You know, don't don't be with too many partners. <laughs> he says abstain from sexual immorality. Don't be involved with it at all. Rather, each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Think his own vessel there means his own body. You've got to use your body in a holy way, not for immoral purposes. Comments and questions to verse 4. There's a big problem with this today. Isn't there? Have you noticed? And that leads me to talk just a little bit. We're, we're going to, we may not complete this whole section uh, today, but, but I'd like for you to think a little bit about some of the things that I think are relevant for today in this. Um, do girls enjoy having uh, the attention of guys? Yes. Yeah, that's a pretty natural inborn thing, isn't it? We like that. Well, what are things girls do to try to get guys to pay attention to Get dressed up. Get dressed up. Work down or not so good Yeah, get dressed down or under. <laughs> and flirt. When you flirt, how do they flirt? <laughs> Body language. Laugh a lot. Talk a lot. Touching. Wow. Now, do it if you're fairly good looking and you manage to, you know, enhance that somewhat, and you, you know, wear clothes that, you know, are uh, interesting to the guys, and you know, you you're friendly and you're kind of, you know, cute about what you say, and you're kind of physical in how you you deal with the guys and so forth. Will you get guys paying attention to? Yes. Yeah, that works, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And here's the problem. You probably know where I'm going with this a little bit. Do you realize what the guys are thinking when they pay attention to you? Girls and guys are so different. Girls, when they're thinking about wanting attention, they're not so much thinking, I want the guy to have sex with me. They're thinking they want a relationship. (coughs) They want to be a close friend. They want the guy to pay attention to them and respect them and like them and want to have a companionship with them. Now, there are some girls, obviously, who are just, you know, not very respectful and they may want a guy to, uh, you know, uh, spend the night with him or whatever. But, But many girls, they're not thinking that way. They just want the guy to pay attention to them. But do you realize what the guys think? I know guys pretty well. I talk to guys a lot, especially teenage guys. They're not thinking nearly as well as what girls think. There's a few things about guys you need to think about. One is guys are very visual. They're very visual. They look and they imagine and they like that. They like to think things about the girl. They like to imagine what she really looks like. They like her not to have too many clothes on because that's really something that is very appealing to a guy. But not in the sense that he respects the girl and wants to be 
friends in the sense that he wants to use the girl to satisfy his imagination and eventually to satisfy his body. Guys do that all the time. Guys will, you know, guys. Some girls do this, but not nearly as much. You know, guys are all the time abusing the internet, looking on cable, going anywhere they can, trying to find images to look at and fantasize about. Girls do that a little bit, but for every half-dressed guy on the commercials, there's a dozen half-dressed women. Because guys are just more into that. Guys are very physically, um, you know, connected as well. A, a girl is not as much affected, maybe, by a guy touching her, by a guy hugging her, maybe even by a guy kissing her. She may feel close by that. She's not quite as quick to think thoughts that would be impure if they're not married. A guy, a little bit of touching and a little bit of visual, and he's thinking self-indulgent thoughts. He's thinking about this girl in terms of her body, not in terms of her. That's not what girls want. I think none of you would want that. You don't want a guy looking at you, you know, enjoying imagining what you look like with all your clothes off and what it'd be like to spend the night with you and all that. That's not what you want a guy to be thinking about when they think about you. That's using you. That's sort of treating a girl as an object, but that's the guy's problem. That's a big guy problem. Now, I tell them all the time that God made the sexual relationship as a self-giving thing in a commitment of marriage. And you guys are thinking of it selfishly. You're wanting to enjoy yourself and you're using the girls you're thinking about and that's wrong. And that's an ex exploitation of the girls. But to girls, I would say, you don't want guys doing that with you. That's not what you're after. You just want attention. You just want them to be close. You'd like to have their friendship. You'd like to feel like you're attractive to them, but you don't want to be attractive in the way they're thinking. When you're attractive like that, that's just a selfish thing on the part of the guy. That's not a relationship thing on the part of the guy. So you want guys you that like you because they're not having to fight their thoughts all the time when they look at you. You know, if it's a good guy, if it's a guy trying to do what's right, I hear a lot of guys talking about how hard it is for them when a girl shows off parts of her body, when she is physical with them, when, when she walks in a way as to kind of display herself, that those things, even if the guy's a good guy, it's a temptation to think the wrong way about the girl. And good guys I know, I believe, would strongly endorse what I just said. Um, you know, I, 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 I've, almost got, I've got time to tell this, I think. We're going to continue this conversation. There's a, there's a uh, dating couple in Brazil that I know of. She was converted by him. They're a little bit older than you are. And for a while, they were secretly uh, having a relationship together. And uh, they'd repent, and then they'd go back to it and repent and go back to it. Finally... Uh, he told a couple of people who told a couple of people and finally everybody knew and, and they repented and they changed and they did stop that. But with his permission, 
in his presence, I talked to his girlfriend. She's a, she's a nice girl. She doesn't have a lot of self-respect. She doesn't have a good dad and all that kind of stuff. I just told her, I said, when, when your boyfriend, you know, uses your body like this, he's being selfish. He is not loving you. He's just using you for his own enjoyment. That's not what you want out of him. And then I turned to him and I said, am I right? I said, yeah, that's right. She started crying. It was hard for her. And I knew it would be hard for her. But she had to know that to put a stop to it. To make sure that that didn't happen anymore. Because every time the guy did that, he was using her. And it didn't help their relationship. When they were doing that, they were fighting on them. A lot better relationship now that they're not doing those sorts of things. Well, our time's up nearly for now. I would like you to think about that a little bit. I'm going to come back to this passage and maybe even talk a little bit more. I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. And we'd be glad to try to be as helpful as I can be for the guys who are Thanks for paying good attention. And